You are listening to the Heavenly Chi podcast, episode number 12. Today we're talking to Kerry Watson about classical Chinese medicine for the treatment of Shen disorders. Hey everybody, I'm Fee Gitchum. I'm Claire Pyers. Today we're talking to Dr. Kerry Watson. Hi Kerry. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. It's great to have you on the show. We're going to talk with Kerry about the treatment of Shen disorders from a classical Chinese medicine perspective. Kerry is a practitioner and teacher of Chinese medicine, and you can find him at his humble self-titled clinic in Altona, Victoria, Australia. You can get in touch with him via the contact details listed with this episode on our website. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's show. Welcome everybody and welcome Kerry. Great. It's great to have you with us. Um, so we're discussing the treatment of Shen disorders using classical Chinese medicine, and I think this is going to be really interesting for everyone, even those who haven't studied classical Chinese medicine yet. Um, it will probably be quite inspiring for them to go and look it up because I know that in my own practice, using classical Chinese medicine, especially for the mental health aspects of what is going on, is really useful and effective. And when we were discussing this with Kerry to prepare for our episode, um, he mentioned that we need a comprehensive understanding of the classical energetics of Chinese medicine and of Taoist Buddhist philosophy and the psychology inherent in the practices there. So I'd just like to start, Kerry, with what do you think are the most important philosophies or nuggets of philosophy from within that field, Taoism to Buddhism, it's very vast, uh, in terms of the way that you approach Shen disorders? Okay. Well, to me, Taoism is the way of dynamic equilibrium, and Buddhism is the way of mind or consciousness or Shen. And when these two philosophies came together in China, particularly in the Tang Dynasty, and produced Chan or Zen, in my mind they really enriched each other and, and gave us a deeper understanding of the journey of life. So from a Tao's point of view, um, we are made up of the San Bao, the three treasures, Shen, Qi and Jin. As we know, Jin is given, and that's, I mean that literally, and that leaves Qi and Shen to travel together throughout our lives. And therefore developing a deep understanding of Taoism and Buddhism allows us to travel well and supports uh, us to be able to support others to travel well on their journey as well. Because to me, Chinese medicine is much more than a medical system. It's actually a way of supporting the evolution of consciousness, the journey of Shen, the journey of awakening. So therefore, having a deep understanding of those holistic philosophies that came together in the Tang Dynasty and enriched um, classical Chinese medicine, for me, really provides that sort of framework for supporting people uh, on their life's journey as they come to understand their place in the universe and who, who and what they really are. 
Yeah, I find it so enriching, you know, for the self to understand these philosophies. How much do you find yourself discussing the philosophies with patients in order to approach the treatment there? Well, see, to me, all um, traditional philosophical um, perspectives talked about the same journey of life. It makes me think of people like Joseph Campbell that wrote extensively on sort of mysticism in all sorts of different traditions. So my own personal passion, of course, is the Zen and Chan tradition. Um, but I actually tease out of the patients um, what their perspective is and support their understanding as they actually deepen their understanding of their own life's journey. I mean, for me, meditative practice is a very important practice because experiential phenomena for me is even more important than philosophy because philosophy to me is really expressing what we come to understand um, through meditative practice. Um, so therefore, if people have an interest in Taoist and Buddhist philosophy, then indeed I'll use that framework to talk to them about their journey and how that might be seen. But if they come with a background in yogic practice or Sufism or shamanism, then I'll ask them to indeed talk about their journey in those particular terms. And I think that's where the beauty of um, the you know the way that Chinese medicine is taught and the framework that we have is that we don't necessarily um, we, we don't necessarily get stuck in a particular way of thinking or a particular way of approaching and we can we can tailor our understanding of what's happening for the patient you know by using um, you know making use of the the words and the language that they use and um, you know the, the beliefs that they that they have can always express a certain dynamic that we can interpret from a Chinese medicine point of view. Exactly. I mean, Chinese medicine to me is such a sort of um, a broad philosophy that there's plenty of room within that to understand other perspectives about the same journey. Because to me, it is the same journey. It's just um, clothed in different clothing at different times. So in my case, uh, it's the Taoist Buddhist sort of perspective that I relate closest to. But that doesn't mean I don't have a love for and a passion for other philosophical traditions as well. And so I really enjoy um, encouraging my patients to indeed share their perspective on their life's journey. And if they don't have one and they ask me what mine is, I'm very happy to share mine as well. So it, it, it's, a, it's a journey that we share together in the clinic. It really is a journey of discovery. And I find it really, it's a, it's a spiritual practice to me, practicing Chinese medicine. I don't mean a religious practice, I mean a spiritual practice. It's about the journey of, of consciousness, the journey of shun, coming to understand um, who we are, where we are, and why we are. And that, and that insight is inherent in most comprehensive philosophical traditions, including the Taoist and Buddhist philosophical tradition. So it supports me to be able to support the people I work with as they journey through their life. One of the things I wanted to um, that I wanted to talk about was the how we're defining Shen disorders. As I I know that there are um, there are certain certain ways that Shen disorders are mentioned and spoken about, where there's a lot of parallels made with mental illness. And I think that um, certainly when I was studying and you know with the some of the conversations that I have with other practitioners is that there seems to be 
this, it's almost a stigma around the term shen disorders. You know, oh, this person's shen disturbed. Um, and that, that's, for me, when I'm talking about a shen disorder, I'm not talking about, you know, a blatant, um, mental illness or someone who's clearly, you know, highly agitated. Sometimes I'm talking about, you know, just a, what would seem or appear to be a normal person who's just, having some difficulties with their with their inner landscape I guess and so um, I wonder if you can um, just make a comment on what your idea is on what does a shen disorder you know what what are we actually talking about when we're saying we're talking about shen disorders well to me um, the whole era of psychology is what shen disorders are really about because I don't really uh, make the distinction between mental illness and shin disorders because to me we're all challenged at different times in our life. That's what life's really about. It really is a, an experience of being challenged in order to grow and develop. So I don't make a big distinction between the experiences that I have and that other people have that challenge us uh, and the people that are severely disturbed at particular times in their lives. So to me shin dis- um, disorders are really sort of when the shin is disordered or indeed when someone is experiencing patterns of disharmony um, where indeed the disturbance of the shin is part of that particular pattern. So my personal perspective on sort of psychological challenges and psychological disorders um, is very much based on sort of the humanistic transpersonal schools of, of psychology and philosophy and that therefore and the challenges we have come about by the way we engage with the world and how we interact with the world around us, the way in which we're brought up, the way in which sort of our, our shin um, is able to, to maintain its equilibrium in the midst of constant shifts and changes. So I don't take a mental health view on psychological disorders. I take a very classical, um, humanistic and transpersonal perspective on the challenges that we all experience in our lives to a greater or lesser degree, and that sometimes people come to see me in the clinic when those challenges are getting so significant that they really need some help and support to indeed um, work through them. With that said, I must add that my perspective on Chinese medicine is that we support a person's ability to self-heal. In other words, we support those systems, the environment, energetic, emotional, psychological, and every other aspect of someone's environment to indeed provide a safe, supportive environment for that person's system to write itself because inherent within us, that ability exists. That's why normally when someone says to us, how are we, if we say, I'm okay, that really means our system is doing the job. When someone says, I'm not okay, it's if their system is not doing the job as well as I would like it to, and in my opinion, our job, to actually help that person's system um, be able to uh, take that responsibility and to be able to indeed provide an environment where that person can indeed um, self-heal and therefore sort of work through the issues and challenges in their life and continue the journey of discovery that life really is. Mm. I mean, I think the Shen and the treatment of the Shen is a key component of what I'm doing with every single patient pretty much. Um, what are some of the particularly relevant shin disorders that you're seeing mostly today? Well, 
I mean, it ranges right across the whole human experience. I mean, obviously things like anxiety, panic attacks and depression, but much more. It's about feelings of, of lack of self-worth, feelings of being lost, feelings of not sort of having any sense of their own self-value, feelings of a lack of identity, of who they really are and what the process of life really may be. So in other words, it ranges right across the human experience. And so for me, even though when people come and present, they might be coming and saying, you know, that they really just don't feel themselves lately or they just don't feel as much purpose in their life or they're feeling really anxious and panicked or they're feeling really sort of dissatisfied with their life, they don't have any sense of purpose anymore. I mean, that's the beginning. That's when the door opens. And my job is to really support their system to be able to find equilibrium so they can work through those issues and chart their way forward. So my focus is not so much on their, on the disorder, it's on the person. Because to me, Chinese medicine is not really a disease-focused medicine, it's a person-focused medicine. I think it was Leon Hammer that said, in Chinese medicine, we actually diagnose the person more than the disease. And I would totally agree with that. Because I make a lot of use of things like the five spirits. I'm very conscious of the role of the five spirits in our ongoing evolution of consciousness. So therefore, I often see people through those particular eyes. For example, if the yeast spirit of the earth um, is not being nurtured and nourished by the earth energy, then indeed people often have a, don't have a real sense of being connected to their world. You know, their feet are not really on the ground, but often what I regard as sort of being a bit empty of any sense of sort of center, the earth being their center. And so therefore, they fall into the sort of behaviors that come about because of a lack of need, spirit. And so therefore, uh, even though they may have good intentions, they often don't follow through. Um, they don't sort of connect what they're thinking, which is an earth phenomena, with how they're actually behaving. So therefore, when I'm in the clinic, I'm very conscious of the nature of people, of what makes up their psychology, and particularly in relation to the five spirits, and the connection between their energetics and the ability of those five spirits to indeed um, assist them in the journey through their lives. So using that to be able to get a sense of where the energetics need some attention, those, indeed, those aspects of their psyche, those aspects of their shun, and indeed support them through their journey of life. For instance, we know about the Po and how the Po helps keep us streetwise and keeps us safe in the energetic world or the manifest world. And so therefore some people of course don't feel safe. And so because their Po is really not being energized in order to allow their intuition to be able to guide them and allow them to indeed evaluate and make informed decisions or let's say judgments. The same would apply for the Hun. And of course, with many people being fascinated, as I am, with the nature of consciousness and the journey of consciousness, indeed the Hun keeps us safe throughout that journey. But of course, if our wood energy is all bottled up, we suffer from gun stagnation, then the Hun can't really serve as well. And so therefore, we don't have that kind of um, safety mechanism that indeed ensures that we will travel well through those realms of consciousness as we evolve towards awakening to our true nature. Mm. Wow, with a great doubt. 
And so are you, I know each situation is unique, um, but can you discuss some treatment methods or points or ways that you would approach the treatment if you're, you're dealing with someone in classical acupuncture where you want to energize the horn or the po, for example? Okay. Well, firstly, I would probably, my, my first consideration would be to, to the earth. Because it's the earth, the pea, that actually transforms and transports, as we know. And so, therefore, if someone's earth energy is connecting them to the earth, is nurturing and nourishing them, then they have the potential to self-heal. If their earth is depleted, deficient, unable to function properly, then no matter what we do, whether it be with acupuncture or herbs or anything else, they won't have the stuff of life or the staff of life to be able to actually heal themselves. So I often look to the earth to see whether the earth is really providing that nurturing and nourishing cheek and shirt that our whole system relies on. Now when it comes to the sin, the TCM heart system, the spirit house that houses our shun, we know that's very dependent upon shirt on TCM blood. And so therefore the whole um, transformation of our environment into usable substances, cheek, shirt and other substances is vital. Then, of course, I look to see whether indeed the pig young is able to lift those, that potential of chi and shir from the middle jowl to the upper jowl to be able to sort of produce zong chi, added chi in the chest that sustains the sin and the fei systems. And in this case, looking particularly at the shir, the TCM blood in relation to sustaining the sin, the sin system, the sin gene. And so therefore, once indeed someone's earth is starting to transform and transport, sure, I try to assist that person's system that the chi and shirt gets from the middle jowl to the upper jowl. So indeed, they end up developing a safe, well-constructed sin or spirit house. Whenever I travel in places like Thailand and I see those little spirit houses outside shops and outside homes and outside businesses, I immediately think of the sin, the spirit house, where the shirt resides. And so therefore it's a matter of really providing the energetics infrastructure so the sin can indeed be a, a welcoming, safe refuge for our shun to reside in, so it's in a peaceful place to be able to witness life's challenges and to be able to work through them as it journeys home. Where if the sin is really depleted, if the sin is really not sustained, it's, the, it's then not a safe place for our shun to reside. And of course, with that being the case, the shun is, is focused on sort of trying to be safe as the thing from trying to grow and evolve and develop. Or let's say, uh, evolve in terms of its understanding of the journey of life. So, there are sort of concepts that are really important to me. But coming back to the wood for a moment, I mean, we know that the wood is the parent of the fire. And so we also know that the gun stores the shirt, it also stores the way. But in this particular case, in relation to the shirt disorders, it stores um, TCM blood. And so therefore, if the, if the gun is all bottled up, then it's unlikely that it'll be able to serve as a good parent and nurture and nourish its child, which is the sin, the spirit house. So to me, it's really a matter of getting all of the energetics that we understand in classical Chinese medicine working optimally to provide that energetic environment so indeed someone can feel safe and nurtured and nourished and centered and cared for in order that they can 
start to work through the challenging issues that are going on in their lives. I have a bit of a saying, and that saying is if we get the energetics right, the counselling and psychotherapy will work a lot better. When I say that, I'm talking about sort of our counselling, Chinese medicine counselling from an Eastern philosophical perspective, but I'm also talking about the use of things like mantras, the use of things like meditative practice, practices like Qigong, these are psychotherapeutic practices to me that are developed in the East to support the journey of spirit. If we get the energetics right, then the people can start to engage in some of those practices that will then support their particular journey. So to me, it's very individualized. It's coming to understand the nature of the person, their journey, how they are journeying, and actually supporting their ability to journey well. So depending on what energetics need attention, that's, of course, where I'll be focusing. And whether it's acupuncture or herbs or a combination, it doesn't really matter. It's, to a large extent, it's up to the person and the consultation between themselves and myself. It's really the process that I'm focused on. Focusing on providing the optimum healthy environment for someone to indeed self-heal and to evolve and grow as human beings are and meant to. Hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> We're sitting here and just absorbing <laughs> absorbing the conversation with smiles on our faces. I mean, for me, because I've been involved in Chinese medicine in this life anyway, and I mean that, I've been in this life, I think it's been connected with others, since 1975, um, I came to Chinese medicine with a fascination for Taoist, Buddhist and sort of yogic practice and meditative practice. And so in the clinic, as I started to develop my skills, I would be using those particular frameworks to, to try to help people understand the journey that they were on. Um, and then years later, I came across the writings of people in the transpersonal psychology area. Um, Stanislav and Christina Groff, Ken Wilber and a range of other people. Um, and recognised that indeed in that sort of um, fourth force of psychology, transpersonal psychology, that included um, the, the journey of life as articulated in sort of the Hindu, Buddhist and Taoist and other mystical traditions. And so these days, depending on the nature of someone, someone has an interest in sort of um, modern psychological theories, then I'll make certain recommendations to them about what they can look at that might help them understand what's going on for them and the journey of life they're on. Whereas if someone comes with a passion for yogic tradition, then we'll be talking about the Upanishads and we're talking about sort of various yogic traditions and various yogic schools. So um, having a broad understanding, I think, is important to be able to support people on their, on their particular journey. But having a deep understanding is really important, I think, for the practitioner so they feel confident and comfortable to be able to support people on, in some cases, what's a very perilous journey. Because people can get very messed up, as we know, in their lives. And sometimes they'll come to us um, to indeed provide the support and the care and attention that they need to actually sort of um, make peace with their life and actually uh, start to celebrate it uh, in ways that maybe they didn't have before. Hmm. I mean, I think there's a lot of growth with the Taoist and Buddhist philosophies in the West. Um, and often when I'm working with patients and I, I see a lot of 
collective disorders within the Shen as well from the group consciousness. For example, you mentioned anxiety and anxiety is just so common. And, you know, we're in a, a circumstance where politically um, there's a whole bunch of media going on to make us all feel quite afraid and anxious all the time and unsafe. Um, and I'm wondering if you could speak about that f- uh, in terms of the the collective level of our consciousness and the current needs for the the collective Western Shen, so to speak, coming to acupuncture, looking for that Eastern input? No, I suppose I don't really see Eastern West anymore um, because I, so, I know so many people that have been born, you know, born and brought up in the East and so many that have been born and brought up in the West that to me it's just a common journey that we're all really on. And of course we're just microcosms of the macrocosm, so obviously the first place that we need to start to work is on ourselves. And there's no boundaries, there's no barriers. There was a book by Ken Wilber called No Boundary, which was one of his uh, many writings that I found very uh, profound, almost like a mystical experience reading it. Because any, any sense of separateness or boundaries fell away as I read that particular book. And that's my experience with meditation. I mean, I've been meditating um, pretty conscientiously since I was 19 and I'm now 65, so I've been doing it for a long time. And for me, whenever I get up in the morning, when I get up in the morning, my first thing that I do is I meditate. And that means I let go, completely let go of any sense of separateness, any sense of boundaries. I don't look at my diary, I don't open my computer. I just tune in to the universe. So therefore, that's how I approach my day. And so I don't find that anxiety really is a big part of my life these days. It was when I was younger. But now I feel part of the oneness of the world. part of the oneness of the world. An example of that might be years ago when I was travelling with some colleagues throughout China and down through Southeast Asia. By the time we got down to Indonesia, I remember saying to um, one of the colleagues that I was travelling with, you know, this was the first time when I was in China that I actually felt absolutely Chinese. And when I was in Thailand, I felt Thai. And when I was in Malaysia, I felt Malaysian. And now I'm in Indonesia, I'm damn sure I'm Indonesian. And it was a real sense for me that any boundary between me and different cultures and, and different perspectives, they'd really fallen away to a large extent. And so therefore, I was just humming along with the nature of the universe. And that doesn't mean I don't get distressed and concerned about things that are happening in the world. Um, but of course, that's just part and parcel of the world that's always been and always will be. And I hope that the contribution that I make both in terms of engaging with people and through connecting with the universe through meditative practices um, plays a part in sort of helping people with their journey as difficult as it might be at time. So I don't get overwhelmed by it. Um, I just let go of those overwhelming feelings if they come and actually sort of tune into something more profound and more deep. Once again, with Ken Wilber, I remember him talking about three stages of um, the development of consciousness. First stage being the I stage, which is a stage that all little babies have. You know, they're the centre of the universe. Everything revolves around them. Of course, some people never lose that stage and they grow up and are totally self-centered and usually called psychopaths. The second stage is the us stage, which is the t- tribal stage. In other words, 
us versus the others. And then maybe link together through culture or through age or through interest or whatever the case may be. Um, the difficulty, of course, with that stage is that there's always the other. And so, therefore, people of a different culture, different religion, different gender, different this. So there's still a separation. The third stage is the stage that he describes as the all of us stage, where everyone is of the one tribe. And so, for me, in meditative practice, those levels of consciousness that are most profound because that goes beyond all those senses of separateness and allows me to experience the fact that there is only one experience, experience in this world and that is the great Tao manifest as multiple entities and always continues to do that whether it be plants, animals, people or whatever. The connecting with that oneness, connecting with that sort of... Um, that being, that, that state of being beyond a sense of separateness, for me, the way of dealing with any anxiety that indeed may come about as a result of those other stages of consciousness, particularly the tribal stages, you know, where one group seems to be against another group, seems to be against another group, which is just around us all the time. Mm. And I try not to buy into that. I try to move beyond that into a sense, a, a state of being where all living entities are one. I think um, I, I really agree with you, and I think that um, you know, getting back to what we were mentioning earlier, that you know, cultivating that within yourself and having that as you know, as a point of focus in your um, you know, in your self reflection and your um, and your self development. I think that in itself is an effective treatment tool because people come to see you as a practitioner and they just get a feel for the energy that you have and the, um, you know, they feel that there's a certain stillness and receptivity within you as a practitioner and that that allows them the space to let go of some of their worries and to let go of some of their chatter that they might have going on within themselves. I think it's a really important thing that, um, that, that we do that as practitioners because that can, you know, if, if we have, um, more of that, it allows for greater healing, I think, in our patients. Look, I totally agree. And in the early days, I was hesitant to encourage people to meditate and so forth. But these days, I have no hesitation. I'm, I'm so aware that meditation is a very, very powerful practice. It puts people in touch with their true nature and it therefore allows them to transcend the, the sort of um, bickering and the disagreement and sort of the, um, the tribal activities that indeed uh, lead to so much friction in the world. Uh, that these days I have no hesitation in suggesting to patients that really meditation is something which, that I feel uh, people benefit from as a core practice in their lives. And these days, you know, what's called mindfulness is basically said meditation is no different. I teach it to the students in first year when I teach. We do qigong and we do channels in meditation under the term mindfulness. It's exactly the same. And these days, the evidence in terms of sort of the health benefits of meditation that have come out of public health studies, particularly in the US that have been running now for many years, is just profound. I mean, when you're looking at sort of people who meditate a couple of times a day over the course of five years and you look at their medical utilisation rate 
compared to people who, who don't meditate and are matched for all other factors in their life, we're talking about 94 point something percent less heart disease, 54 percent less cancer, 55 percent less uh, neurological and, and psychological disorders. We're talking about profound health benefits from the simple practice of meditation. Now, of course, acupuncture in particular has, can be very, very meditative. I mean, some people with the simplest treatments, who do with Tai Chong, the four gates, have profound, um, deep meditative experiences. And when they say to me, it's like I've never felt this relaxed in my whole life. I feel in tune with everything. I say to them, well, a way of being able to experience that every day is to actually learn how to meditate. So I have no hesitation in teaching people how to meditate. It's not a religious practice to me, it's a human practice. Um, it doesn't have to be associated with any particular tradition. It's something that anyone can be taught to do. Observation of breath is something we all agree, so it's pretty easy to teach and pretty easy to do um, in terms of the actual practice. Of course, when people first start meditating, they find that their thoughts grab them and take them away, as they did with me. But I do remember one day, I couldn't put a date on it, when I was sitting meditating, and for the first time I, I observed or witnessed thoughts coming in and thoughts leaving, and I stayed. And at that moment, I knew I was not thought, and that I knew I was no longer imprisoned by thought, that I was something prior to thought, prior to time, prior to space. And of course, to me, that is really who we really are. There's something much more profound, much more significant, and that for anyone to be able to experience that um, gives them a whole other place to live and a whole other place to witness life from and a whole other place to engage with life from. So to me, it's a very, very important practice. And in terms of classical Chinese medicine, it is central. In the same way that it's central to Taoist and Buddhist practice or Taoist and Buddhist tradition, meditative practice is at the centre, not at the side, but at the centre. I agree, and, and so often the acupuncture will induce a patient through that kind of experience, um, and then there's sometimes where it doesn't, and yet, you know, um, you want to impart that experience with the patient, and in my practice, I will sometimes combine meditative instruction or say or do a few things which might involve words, uh, light, smells, whatever I'm doing, the way that I'm doing it so that when I put the needles in and leave the room, I'm supporting the induction of them going into that emptiness and into that state. Uh, is there anything you want to add in terms of things that you would do therapeutically to assist that along or do you um, – just let it happen or not? Or is it something that you focus on achieving through the acupuncture specifically? Well, I mean, I, I use acupuncture in Chinese medicine to try to get the energetics into the right place so people can actually journey well. So with that said, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily encourage people to try to meditate the first time they start to see me um, because I know to be able to let your attention rest on your breath or indeed on a man who should use one or some creative visualization. You need to be able to focus your attention, of course, and that's a function of the earth energy, of the peak in the way energy. So therefore, in early stages, I might get them to do things that start to connect them to the earth. 
In other words, I'll encourage them to go out into the countryside, to go for walks in nice parks, to go for walks along the beach, to do some gardening. And sometimes I'll even get them to do some simple um, martial arts postures that indeed require the energy to be drawn into their limbs, once again under the responsibility of the earth, so they start to become more centered and more focused. Sometimes I'll give them a mantra, and it'll be a very simple mantra. It might just be, be here now, or be in the present, or be in the moment, to actually focus their attention so their energy becomes more focused into their earth and centers them. Once that happens, then they're more likely to be able to benefit from actually letting go and in meditating kind of practice. But I must say, there are many meditative practices that I have a lot of time for. Um, whether that be pranayama yogic um, breathing, or whether that be qigong, particularly Taoist qigong, in other words, qigong within the Taoist sort of philosophical framework and the understanding that comes with it, whether it be certain types of modern breathwork, like holotropic breathwork from Stanislav and Christina Groff, profound breathwork um, that that really is sort of um, you know incredibly therapeutic, having done workshops with those people here in Australia and spent time in California. Um, breath work is a very powerful mover of chi, and chi is a very powerful mover of consciousness. So therefore, breath moving chi and chi moving consciousness is an interconnection that I make use of in the clinic. And sometimes I'll just start with breath. Then moving the chi with things like acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine and tuina and so forth, and then moving into the effect of that on consciousness. But it's all connected. And I remember when I did workshops with Stanislav and Christina Groff, I think I was the only trained Chinese medicine practitioner at this particular sort of workshop. Eight people in Sydney and quarrying a number of years ago. And I went up to him later and I said, look, uh, uh, I've really observed that so many of the areas where people are putting pressure as part of that breathwork thing are major acupuncture points associated with various emotions and so forth. And he said, yeah, that's why in Sacramento I have Chinese medicine practitioners working with holotropic breathwork practitioners because sometimes working with qi and consciousness together is better than working with either of them alone. So to me, Meditative practices of various forms, including breathwork practices and energetic practices like acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine, are like a hand and glove relationship. And putting them together to suit the needs of the individual, if that's what they're interested in, if that's the journey of life that they want to go on, um, enriches that experience and that therapeutic experience. And the thing that I find um, is that when I run into people that I've worked with, you know, months or even years down the track, and you know, the usual questions, how have you been? It's so common for people to say, after that course of treatment, I just kept getting better. Because to me, Chinese medicine is a wellness approach to healthcare. It's not like biomedicine. Not having to go at biomedicine, it's just different. Biomedicine is a disease-focused medicine. Chinese medicine is a wellness-focused medicine. It's according to people's ability to self-heal, to get well, and grow and evolve as people. As we know, it cuts across all of the aspects of human experience. So therefore, for me, that's why it's still so valuable so many thousands of years later, because indeed it actually is a person-focused medicine. It's, it's a bit like humanistic and transpersonal psychology and the energetics that they don't have. And putting it all together, 
literally Taoist and Buddhist philosophy and the classical energetics of Chinese medicine, or indeed the classic energetics of Chinese medicine and humanistic and transpersonal psychological perspectives, is really making something whole and therefore able to support the whole journey of life, not just bits and pieces of it. I'm very fortunate for two reasons. One is I was introduced to sort of meditative practice of Taoist and Buddhist and yogi um, philosophy and practices um, when I was about 19 years age. And when I studied Chinese medicine, initially the teachers were totally focused on a classical approach. In fact, when I first studied uh, Chinese medicine, started studying back in the mid-70s, we didn't do any formal biomedical sciences. They came in a little bit later when the health fund required that to happen for graduates to be able to get rebates for their patients. I'm really glad that I didn't study biomedical sciences for the first two years of my Chinese medicine study. So I could really deeply understand or go deeply into those classical frameworks of understanding of qi and shi and the vital substances of yin and yang and the jin and the uh, four levels and the jin, the you know, six channels and the san jiao and all of those concepts that I rely on in my life and in the clinic and in the classroom. Um, because I think if I'd been trying to study anatomy and physiology at the same time, in fact, I'm sure that if I was studying them at the same time, it would have lessened my deep understanding understanding of the Chinese medical model. So sometimes when people say, which one should you study first, biomedicine or Chinese medicine? My answer is always Chinese medicine first with the big picture. And within the big picture, you can see where other things fit. Yeah, I definitely can reflect upon that from being at school that um, just having to split the brain to such two such extremes in the first couple of years really uh, can be difficult for some people. Yeah. Uh, well, it's been great chatting with you, Kerry. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. But you've mentioned some really wonderful insights and um, really just grounding the idea of the Shen and, and how we treat the Shen within our philosophies. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's been great chatting with you today, Kerry. And thank you to our listeners for listening. And we hope that you'll enjoy or join the conversation on our Facebook page. And we'd love to hear from you, your comments and feedback on this topic. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now.